This is an RNZ podcast. This week was another big one for the nation's biggest publisher of news, Stuff, now embarking on a new era under new ownership, that of Chief Executive Sinead Boucher, who bought the company for a dollar from Australian owners last month. On Monday, the spin-off reported a leaked staff email which revealed that the publisher had decided to pause its presence on Facebook because of the malign impact it's having on our public life and on the news industry. And that raised eyebrows in the media world, though those who heard Stuff's boss Sinead Boucher telling Media Watch this shortly before she became the owner might not have been completely surprised. You know, we as a news entity and as a journalism um, company uh, stand in opposite to Facebook in a lot of ways. And I think because the type of work we produce, the code of ethics that we adhere to, you know, the fact that we're producing journalism that's fair, is accurate and balanced, is at odds to the fact that Facebook has permitted uh, massacres to be live streamed, uh, people's personal data to be used and misused to, you know, um, manipulate elections or for fake news to be spread. It was Stuff's chief executive and its new owner, Sinead Boucher, talking to MediaWatch during the lockdown back in April. And you can read all about the company's bold call on Facebook on the MediaWatch page of the RNZ website. Just look for the heading Stuff's Fighting Talk on Facebook. And in this week's Midweek Media Watch, you can hear Hayden Donnell talking about that with Karen Hay on The Lately Show. Head to the website or wherever you get your podcasts if you missed that. To mark 20 years since the company's last onshore owners first launched online news on the stuff.co.nz website, Stuff has launched a new version of the site with new sections, a new layout and the cheery message, Kia ora Aotearoa, at the top. And apart from being tidier and easier on the eye, something else that sets it apart from the site in years gone by, there's hardly anything on it you could call clickbait. For years, Stuff and its main rival for eyeballs, nzherald.co.nz, were castigated by critics for publishing too much stuff that wasn't really newsworthy, but had headlines on titillating topics designed to get you to click. Way back in 2008, MediaWatch talked about that with Stuff senior editor Mark Stevens. Within you know an hour or so of posting a story, we know if it's working, um, and when I say we know it's working, we know if the readers like it. Newspaper editors around the country would love to be able to have that sort of instant reaction from their readers. How much of an influence is that having on you? Uh, Are you tailoring it to what the readers w- like? W- when I say tailoring, I, I, I make no apologies for being populist. But yeah, I, I'm all for giving the readers what they want. So yeah, that would definitely have an influence on the nature of stories that we would put in the top four. You've got a section called Editor's Picks mm-hmm. and you've got the most viewed. Mm-hmm. And about two weeks ago, I, I looked at it and... Editor's picks, top pick was best breasts in Hollywood mm-hmm. with picks and brackets. Mm-hmm. I assumed that that was the most read rather than what an editor would be pointing the readers no, to. No, no, not at all. One of our web editors decided that was a story that our readers should be pointed to. Our most viewed, we will react to it. If a story is working, we'll know the readers like it and we'll continue to find fresh angles around it. If a story's not working, we'll try something new. Well, 12 years on, Mark Stevens is now Stuff's editorial director, having taken the job up after the company's current owner and boss, Sinead Boucher. So this week I asked him, where has all the clickbait gone and why? Um, Have we made a conscious move away from clickbait? Um, I'm going to give you two answers, and that's because I think in, in the first instance, I think Stuff being a destination for clickbait was always more of a perception than a reality. Of course, we had entertainment news, we still do people like seeing some entertainment news. 
But what I do think we've consciously and very deliberately um, done is focus more in the last couple of years on building a newsroom of those great writers that I mentioned, the country's best journalists, and they are focusing on unique, trustworthy content. So is, is that reader-led? Um, they have responded to it and and will continue down that path. Well, I'll put it another way, though. I think the perception was that the two of you and the Herald and stuff, the, the audience was always bigger for you and that you wanted to maintain that. So the perception was for years you two were trying to get readers' attention from each other and you do whatever you had to do to do it. Is there now no need for that, that look, kind of war for clicks and look, being, we're, being we're, the first? We're a commercial business. Attracting an audience is, is obviously um, something that we, um, we need to continue to do. But I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, newsrooms have never and, and still don't have any shortage of things like analytics. We know what, what people are looking at and what they're not. Um, do we still use them? Of course we do. Um, are we far more sophisticated in the way we use those? Um, yes, we are. We look, we're, we're more interested in where our audience is coming from, how long they're spending on the site, on, on individual stories. Um, and again, you know, I, me- I mentioned as trust increasingly becomes a key metric for us over size, the number of clicks. Um, I think that's translated into what you, for example, are saying on the site. Mm. I mean, you talked about this way back in 2008, because even then there was this, this perception that there's a lot of tabloid-type stuff, uh, even that stuff was, was pointing readers to it um, in order to maximise the clicks. Um, but you said at that time, look, you know, I wouldn't make any apologies for being populist, for attracting an audience. That's what we need to do. Yeah, you're certainly digging around in the archives there, aren't you? Yeah. 10, 11, 12 years old. Mm. We did have a breadth of content, and we still do. There is still entertainment news for people who want to engage and consume entertainment news, but our focus is on that unique, trustworthy, independent, credible journalism. The new site better reflects that, which is great, and and you've made that point. Um, And and I still think that we are a site for all New Zealanders. Um, You know, we a real focus for us, for example, is on you know the diversity of of our newsrooms, of our reporting, how we reflect what is just a massive New Zealand audience. It's, it's great that the, I suppose you'd say that unique journalism is shining through now. But is it, is it also um, that actually the economic rewards were never that great for the kind of journalism that would maximise clicks? Chasing clicks, getting traffic has turned out not to be hugely lucrative and that's partly what might have driven your decision as well as more uh, high-minded uh, mission of trying to build I trust. would say the economics of it are certainly a factor but look, I would say um, you know, the economics for anyone in that industry aren't awesome right now but I personally believe that carving out that space that we are in New Zealand at the moment um, for the type of journalism we're doing must put us in a better, more sustainable position as we try and navigate those. And actually, as we speak, you are currently recruiting, I think, in in five fairly serious senior journalism positions. Mm -hmm. The data journalism position, the Wellington Regional Dominion Post editor, business editor, all these up for grabs. So is your company into this new phase, is that a good sign? I think it is um, absolutely a good sign, and they are key roles for us. We are continuing to attract uh, the best of the best in New Zealand. We've just recently taken... You know, three-time Reporter of the Year nominee Kirsty Johnson um, to add to our mix, um, Mike White um, from the changes there at Bauer, obviously. Now, the the Facebook issue has been a, a big one this week. Patrick Crudson uh, has spoken about that on RNZ, the reasons 
for this move, and he's described it in terms of part of that mission to build uh, trust with readers. But mm-hmm. there are, in the thick end of one million followers in the, uh, of the Facebook page, how important is that audience to them? Presumably, as someone, you're the senior editor at the site, you don't want to lose that kind of reach. Are you really happy with this decision? Not just um, am I not concerned as an editor. I was obviously a key um, part of that de- decision. But this is an experiment. It allows us to help better understand our own unique direct audience. But to your point about that big audience, of course it is important for us that people can access our trustworthy journalism. And I accept that the point you made that a lot of those uh, or a chunk of people are accessing that through Facebook. So we'll continue to monitor it. But I am pretty confident in uh, our decision to go down this path at this stage on the basis that we enjoy across our newspapers and our website a massive reach in New Zealand, you know, one that is as big as, if not bigger, than those global platforms. That, that interview you did way back in the dusty old past of 2008, you talked about the analytics, mm-hmm. which you mentioned earlier, and you described it as a great tool um, because, you know, imagine that newspaper editors would have loved this in the past, to be able to see almost instantly what people have engaged with and what mm-hmm. they haven't. But, of course, it's a double-edged sword because, you know, that can guide you into providing maybe too much of one thing just because the people like it. Um, but these days, is it different? So if you hire Kirsty Johnston, Mike White, are you at stuff then all over the analytics for every story they publish, you know, worrying about just how many people it attracts? And if Kirsty publishes something that's pretty gritty but significant and not that many people read it, you're okay with it? Yeah. But I, think, I think one thing that we've potentially forgotten about that 2008 interview is that I also said that newsworthiness, um, journalistic um, judgment will trump those analytics. It did then and it will continue to do so now. Right down to individual journalists who are writing those stories, do they want to know how that's performing? Should they know how that's performing? Of course they should. It is not just how many people have clicked on it, who's clicking on it. You know, are these are these our supporters? Are they people who have come from a social platform? How long are they spending on that site? You know, there is a much deeper, more sophisticated level of analysing the performance of our content, but um, just the magnitude and the clicks is certainly not the primary draw card. Do you think it's been damaging for stuff down the years? And now that you're on a mission to build trust, that for whatever reason people think, ah, stuff is just publishing that to chase Mm -hmm. clicks, either for their own reasons or because they're in a a race with, with the Herald to be bigger and better? Yeah, look, I'd reiterate my point that I think this is more perception than reality. But perception can be equally as damaging to to a brand. I accept that. What I would say is we've made some conscious and deliberate decisions over the last couple of years and those sort of comments and that sort of narrative from that, um, you know, vocal minority, the squeaky wheel, is certainly not what it used to be. Um, I would say that we get far more positive feedback um, about the the type of journalism that we do than any kind of negative feedback. Mark, you've been at Stuff a long time now, so you've seen a lot of these changes in that past 20 years play out personally. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you think New Zealanders' digital news habits have changed what what they want and how they use it? Look, I would say probably not as much as you'd expect. I mean, Stuff is uh, a, a really big site and local, national, international news always has and still remains a, a key drawcard for our audience. 
Um, so, you know, not a huge change there. But at the same time, over that 20 years, or at least the time that I've been there, some of those uh, verticals, we call them, or categories like business and property and sport and travel have, have also seen significant growth over that time. Um, but I would say the most, or the, the fundamental change that I've seen over that time is obviously the shift from stuff banger supplementary media to our newspapers and I think you've probably seen that you know industry-wide whether it's to newspapers or to tv or to radio to becoming a primary source of news indeed um, some of the some of the articles in that history of stuff mm-hmm. in the 20 years some of them refer back to almost a kind of rivalry it was almost seen as a competitor the website when it was started up in some some still working to the the newspaper mastheads might might not have enjoyed it so much Oh look, yeah, there were there were certainly interesting times, and I think I think your comment there about it being a competitor is pr- is probably fair in some ways. Um, I was on the Evening Post before the merger, and then the Dominion Post before Sinead recruited me over to to the digital side. And look, I don't know if you read it in some of that anniversary coverage, but I think you know I was pretty much told that would be the end of my career. <laughs> you know, how much further do we have to pull our pants down for for stuff? Um, <laughs> But, you, you know, it was a moment in time. Um, newspapers, um, in our stable at least, they reigned supreme. But it was also a time, I think you remember, they, have, they were facing some pretty big challenges as well. Well, of course, something similar working in radio actually mm-hmm. in the UK where they re, re, launched a website and at the top of every hour before the news they mentioned the website of the station. And I remember our editor ripping his door open. He didn't know about this, saying, what the hell? Why are we telling people to turn off their radios and go to their computers? And <laughs> the, the people running the whole strategy saying, no, no, you misunderstand. And but look, that was same, them, right? Look, same, same in our world. And, and put yourself in those editor's shoes. You know, they were, why would I give up something that's going to hold up the front sort of tomorrow um, and, and let it out now? Where I just kind of think, we we kind of we realised a couple of things. Um, firstly, that the audiences weren't exactly the same anyway. You know, they still aren't. We know that. But secondly, it was time to look at things through through like any business, really through a customer lens. If our audience wanted to engage with the news at a certain time in a certain way on a certain platform, then then we had to deliver that. And so we made a lot of changes. Some of them, of course, were structural, which well documented, again globally, industry wide. And some of them were just, I suppose, a consequence of the environment. So you've relaunched the site to mark that 20th anniversary, but also it's, I guess, part of the project of you've got a new ownership, a new commercial mm-hmm. direction now. Um, but what do that you bear in mind? timing, you're right. Yeah, yes. indeed. What do you bear in mind, though, if you're redesigning a site that attracts... Um, a couple some, of million New Zealanders. Of, yeah, yep. I mean, we're talking about you know, 40, 50% of the population, mm-hmm. at, at least a bit each month. Um, how, how do you, what do you, how, how does that change the calculations you make when you decide to, to Yeah, to so look, the, I think the first thing I'd have to declare is I'm, I'm not a designer, but as an editor, I had uh, certain hopes, uh, you know, out of out of that redesign. Um, and I think it's also worth noting that, let's face it, it was a great opportunity because anything would have been an improvement. It was about 10 years old, that site. Um we, you know, we hadn't we hadn't changed a lot. If, if you were kind, I think you'd say the old site was tired. If you were less kind, you'd say it was a bit of an embarrassment in, in design terms. But to your point, it was really important to us to remember that we had a massive audience that was very familiar with that old site. Um, and, and the change, although it's great, it's not revolutionary. You know, there's still kind of homage to our roots. It still uses colour as a cue. 
And look, we've always at staff thought of ourselves as, as in something of a relationship with our audience. And so we needed to maintain that credibility, that accessibility. We needed to continue to be relatable. Um, but I think the biggest change for me, or the most important change for me, is that we really wanted to use the redesign as an opportunity to champion the journalism. And I think, you know, subtle difference here, but also the journalists, um, staff, has got some of the best writers in the country. Obviously, I'm, I'm biased. Yeah. Um, but I think that's been the case for the last few years. And the news site allows us to better showcase our reporters, our, our visual journalists, our, our writers, both in, internal and external, and their bylines. And I would say that as trust increasingly becomes a, a kind of a key metric for us, um, obviously a bit of work around exactly how we measure that, but being able to showcase and profile those journalists as a journalist, sorry, is a big part of that. Um, people deserve to know, you know, who, who's writing the news, what their credentials are, those sorts of things. So that that was a big, big part of it for me. We'll see where it goes. Thanks a lot, Mark. Thanks, Thanks for coming. Colin. Thank you. The editorial director at Stuff, Mark Stevens.